You can't control what's outside your home, but you can control what comes in. Because Clorox disinfecting wipes kill 99.9% of viruses and bacteria, including COVID-19 virus, when used as directed on hard, non-porous surfaces. So whether it's from dirty doorknobs, dirty shoes, or something else, outside germs won't stand a chance. When it counts, trust Clorox. Kill Pseudomonas, Salmonella, and Influenza virus type A2. Kill SARS-CoV-2 on hard, non-porous surfaces. Use as directed. Hello once again, race fans, and welcome back to another episode of the Dropping the Hammer Racing Hour here on the Grueling Truth, where legends speak. I'm Alex Gray, as always, along here with Michael Klein, and we have a special guest joining us here today. It is former NASCAR pit reporter and analyst, and uh, did it for a long time on Truck Series on the Speed Channel. Ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Ray Dunlap. Thank you so much for joining us, Ray. Hey, guys. Great to be here. Absolutely, yeah, absolutely man. You. Yeah. Uh, absolutely uh, great to have you, and uh, we'll get to some of the news here just shortly. But, uh, Ray, if you want to tell some of the audience a little bit about yourself and what got you into uh, what you did for so many years. Yeah, well, um, you know, my, uh, my father was uh, a, a big fan of any kind of motorsports, and when I was a young kid, I um, – you know, we went to the races on Saturday nights, and I just, I just loved it, everything about it. And uh, when I went to college, I decided I wanted to study radio and television. My, my original thought was that I would just uh, be a radio DJ of some kind because I, I love music also. But as that sort of morphed more in towards the television realm, I... Um, I was able to work my way uh, into the ARCA series um, many, many years ago, and uh, I I did some video camera work for them, and uh, that opened up a door to become public relations director at ARCA, and that was a really fun job. Back in those days, we had a lot more short tracks and and uh, a very packed schedule, so we traveled all the time, and it was it was a lot of fun. And by being in that role, I was around the television people uh, quite a bit, trying to help them uh, make our ARCA broadcasts better. And um, and really, that sort of was the first thing that opened up the door for me. Oh, that's pretty awesome. Yeah, I've, I've always enjoyed uh, watching the ARCA circuit. You know, I've uh, for me, I've been to a few races at Kentucky Speedway in the past, and me and Michael and his brother, John, actually went up to uh, uh, IRP earlier this year as well. Yeah, I love I love that. You know, IRP is a great racetrack for ARCA short tracks. Um, you know, it was such an interesting mix because um, ARCA had the most diverse schedule by far. Uh, they ran two mile dirt races back when I was there, and and, of course, uh, you know, you'd go on a weekend run where we'd do Friday, Saturday, and Sunday night at three different short tracks um, in central Ohio or Michigan or Indiana. And uh, then you'd take off the next weekend and go to, to uh, you know, you'd go to Talladega and run the, the super speedway there. And a, a week later, you'd be on a road course out in Iowa um, uh, or Kansas somewhere. So it was just, uh, it, it was really fun 
to see, you know, it, it's an incredible amount of work that those teams have to put in. Obviously, they're way underfunded compared to mm-hmm. the upper levels of NASCAR. And uh, so it's, it's really a very family environment, and it was – it was a, a great learning place for me especially, and uh, I have lifelong friends from from the time that I was there, even though it was uh, 30 years ago. Oh, that, that, that's pretty cool. Um, uh, Michael, anything you want to add on to that? Um, sure, yeah. I mean, you know, ARCA is kind of how I got started in racing for me. I mean, I started working with Thomas Prater uh, a few years ago, you know, that was kind of my first foray into big level racing and just the amount of camaraderie you have in the ARCA garage is incredible. And just the type of schedule they have, I mean, it is probably the most diverse in motorsports. But yeah, I definitely see how, you know, ARCA can sort of create this sort of attachment to it, like you described there. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's the whole thing. Like you said, it's about that family environment and the friendships that you make. And you know, when you look at uh, you look at the Cup field today, uh, just just about all of the guys that are successful there um, have come through ARCA one way or the other. Um, you know, obviously uh, Chase Elliott. Uh, you know, when those young drivers, they've got to run a super speedway race somewhere for the first time, and chances are it's going to be in ARCA. And, um, you know, I just, the, the, the people there are great. They've had, uh, they've had, you know, they do a lot with a little as far as uh, the administration there and, uh, and the technical people, uh, you know, many of them are retired NASCAR people. So it, it just really is a, a wonderful group of people. And, and, you know, like I say, that gave me an opportunity to get my foot in the door. And, and from that point, then, you know, I moved on to Speed Channel um, well, I moved to ESPN first. I should uh, preface that. I was at ESPN for about six years, and and I had the privilege to work in the Cup Series with, uh, uh, you know, Bob Jenkins, Benny Parsons, Ned Jarrett, Dr. Jerry Punch, Bill Weber, John Kernan. It was really one of the very best broadcast crews, uh, in my opinion, in, in the history of our sport. And and to be able to to lay my name on that list really is quite a privilege because all those guys uh, did a lot to to help me along and and help teach me the ropes, especially Jerry Punch. So, uh, what an incredible group there! And and to, to have to have been a part of that is is really an honor. And then after ESPN, when we when the TV contract changed in 2001, then I sports. And uh, and worked at Speed Channel covering the Truck Series primarily, but uh, did some uh, Xfinity Series racing and and uh, you know Cup pre race and and uh, we we just had such a great lineup of shows back then. Um, you know, people who who were big fans of motorsports 15 years ago had such a a more diverse opportunity to watch shows and and get their information than there is today even. And um, it was, uh, you know, it was really, really fun, especially working on Wind Tunnel with Dave Despain and and those kind of shows we had at Speed Channel were really something special. Oh, oh yeah. yeah. I mean, I think I think everybody here misses Speed Channel. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. I mean, I remember when I was a kid, this is like 2005, I became a fan in 04, and, we got, I think, I think it was DirecTV, 
and uh, I was like, my dad told me, he's like, hey, we have a speed channel. I was like, yes, I can watch the truck races, I can watch Cup qualifying, I can watch all these, all this other racing stuff. So, you know, if I wasn't watching like Cartoon Network or something like that, I was watching the Speed Channel. <laughs> yeah. I absolutely, yeah, I absolutely loved uh, a lot of the stuff that was on that channel, and obviously, uh. I was sad to see it go, but I know a lot of the a lot of the racing has continued. A lot of racing activities have continued on uh, Fox Sports and uh, NBCSN as well. Yeah, absolutely, man. I mean, you know, Speed Channel. I watched that religiously growing up. Mm-hmm. So you know, when I heard it was going to be turned into FS1, I mean, that was seriously like you know, sword through the heart right there. Yeah, it was like, that was like the main channel for motorsports. And that was when, you know, this was before streaming services and everything. This was like, you know, there was a channel for everything at that point with with cable coming in and and everything else. So, like, you know, there's just so many channels. So there was a channel for golf. There's, you know, the NFL has its own network. The NBA has their own network. MLB has their own network. And motorsports had their own network with the speed channel and, all the um, all all the races that I remember, especially a, a lot of the truck races I used to watch uh, when I was a kid as well. Yeah, you know there was so much other ancillary programming too, and and you know you can yep. find auto auctions on other channels now, and you can find mm-hmm. some car build channels uh, or car build shows on other channels now. But you have to spend the time to go out and search for it, and and you know we had that all in one you know beautiful little. A smorgasbord there, and now you have to go a la carte and shop around and look for it. But you know they made that decision that they wanted to uh, to go all sports network with the channel, and because it had great distribution, we already had eighty some million homes on the Speed Channel. It was a it was a decision that corporate made, and I, I, I my guess is if I could go sit down and and go to lunch with all of those guys that made that decision. Um, you know, seven or eight years ago, they would probably look back and say, uh, we probably shouldn't have done that. But nevertheless, that they moved on. And, uh, you know, FS1 mm-hmm. has a lot of good programming, a lot of good sports on it. So um, it, it's, you know, it's something that's still on my, uh, you know, on my uh, short list to go to, but uh, certainly nothing like it was back in the day when we had uh, 24 hours a day of <laughs> motorhead for speed cheap. Speed TV. <laughs> oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, my favorite thing to go on there was seeing all the, you know, good short track races they would have on there. I mean, back then, they would play replays of the World of Outlaws or ARCA, Cayman Pro Series. I yeah. Mean, anytime that was on, you know, I would just be glued to the TV. I mean, I remember when they would air the K&N races every day, like, as soon as I got home from school, and I would just be so looking forward to go there and watching those. Yeah, and that was one of the fun things about my assignments over the years, too, is that, you know, I got to do a lot of those entry-level races, uh, K&N Pro Series. And, you know, even even a few years before you guys were probably around, we had the, uh, the NASCAR touring divisions with the Southwest Tour and uh, – and all those and and when i first started shoot i'd go sometimes i'd leave on a wednesday and and we'd have a tour race somewhere a thursday night i'd go do 
uh, a, a sprint car race at uh, IRP on Friday, and then we'd have an ARCA race somewhere Saturday, and then I'd be at the Cup race in Pocono on Sunday. And um, I mean, we racked up a lot of frequent flyer miles, which was really, uh, which you know, was a bit of a challenge sometimes getting from place A to B, but but it was a lot of fun too. And when I look back on my memories, uh, there was there was two or three years in a row where where I did over 200 events uh, a season, and and you uh, you sit down and you shake your head and you're like, I don't know how that happened, but um, 200 different days, not just events, because um, sometimes you'd have a practice and qualifying and a truck race all in the same day, you know? Yeah. Wow. But that's, that's fun uh, whenever you can get to do 200 days and and be in you know be at uh, 45 or 50 different tracks. Yeah, I was about to tell you. I honestly, that sounds like a ton of fun. Honestly. Yeah, well, absolutely. It was the I diversity mean, of it's what made it really interesting because we, you know, we'd run a an ARCA race at Lake Erie Speedway, and you know, it'd be on a half mile, and and uh, <laughs> you know, the next day, or like I said, you'd be at Pocono or something like that. So you had to you had to do a good bit of research and and be ready for for a busy week like that. But uh, but I I loved the challenge. Yeah, I mean, I would love to be able to do that. I mean, Same. last year I only got to compete in one race, and, you know, other than that, it was really just me going to races, helping people. So I'd love to be able to go out and do 200 races a year, especially if I was yeah. running them all. <laughs> yeah, same. Sure. Um, I've, I've had media credential opportunities at some races in the past couple of years before, uh, obviously, COVID happened. You know, I had a blast, and I was like, I want to do this all the time. This is a ton of fun, just getting this kind of experience, getting to meet different people, and, you know, and, and just taking the diversity of the, the different tracks and what each track brings. Because you know, every track is different, no matter where you go. The area around it and, and the atmosphere is, uh, it's, it's that part of, like, you know, something my dad encouraged me before is, like, see the world, you know. Absolutely. So, like, uh, I've actually been curious about asking this. Um, what advice would you have for someone like myself to get into, um, you know, what you did or into the auto racing media industry? Well, my very first, uh, the very first thing I did after college, right after um, I graduated, I uh, started a public access show in uh, Columbus, Ohio, and we had a channel there that the cable companies uh, all put money into to allow community people to come in and, and, you know, create their own kind of things. You know, it was like a Wayne's World um, you could, you could, there were people who did shows about religion, other people, uh, did book reviews and, um, and I made a little show, uh, where I did auto racing and I built my own set and I made a, a lectern that I stood behind at the studio and, and then we would play, uh, highlights, uh, from races that, you know, I'd go to Columbus Motor Speedway and the mid Ohio and tracks that were handy and uh, I went to all those people and said, hey, look, I'd like to shoot video here and put it on the TV show. And they were like, well, sure, we'd love to get the extra coverage. So, um, and part of that was just the timing. You know, it worked out that there was that opportunity for me. Not everybody has that chance. Um, but, but primarily it's about trying to find a way to be at the racetrack. You know, you've got to be, 
you got to be there to learn. Um, you know, you got to learn on the on the media side. You've got to learn about the physical race cars. You've got to learn about the people. You've got to learn about the processes of uh, of when you want to talk to somebody, when not to. And um, th- there was a lot of value in the fact that you know, when having worked at ARCA for those number of years doing public relations, it really uh, gave me a lot of information about understanding the media side, uh, more than just being able to pick up a microphone and ask somebody a question, but about the process and 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 how it all works. So um, a lot of it was just being there. You know, you've got to. Uh, you've got to meet the people. You've got to let them know what your goals are, and you've and you've got to talk to them about uh, you know how to reach those. But um, part of my you know sometimes it's it's uh, right place, right time. Um, sometimes it's uh, you know excellent preparation, and um, and I think there's a happy mixture to all of that. But being at the track is the most important thing because that's where you that's where you get the the knowledge. I definitely agree with that. Thank you. Um, you know, obviously, I know this year was rather difficult, but we, Michael and I actually did get to go to the All-Star Race, thankfully, in Bristol, and that was a fun experience. And obviously, he and I get to do this podcast and talk about uh, NASCAR and auto racing and all that fun stuff, and uh, it's something I love to do. I, you know, both, both of us have grown up as kids uh, loving NASCAR while I'm sure we've been made fun of for it at times, but, you know, uh, and, uh, you know, in the end, as adults, we just kind of want to give back. Yeah, and like you said, the COVID situation has made it an extremely difficult year. I am overwhelmed at how successful uh, NASCAR was able to manage uh, the entire process. They just did a, a, a masterful job of, of uh you know going down to the minimum number of people and i'll tell you this uh this process of going through this is going to change a lot of policies and a lot of procedures um, oh yeah in the future you know i don't think you're going to ever see a four-day show again at a racetrack um you know they've come to realize the the total amount of expense of all those other things and if they were able to get through it this year um you know, I think you'll see a lot less practices even in the future when when COVID is is no longer an issue. Um, but that you know, it's it's things that uh, you know in baseball this year we had a designated hitter in the uh, National League. I think right. it's a great it was a great change, and I love it, and I sure hope they keep it in the future. But oh um, yeah, uh, that you know that's one of those kind of things that probably wouldn't have come along or or wouldn't have had an opportunity to give it a try and um so there are a few positives here and there but obviously the limited number of people being at the racetrack has affected um a great number of people and and um you know a lot of people who made their living in our sport were uh, were very negatively affected and it it stinks but it's uh you know, something we had to go through, and, and hopefully it won't be here much longer. Yeah, that's, uh, that's something I actually, like, wanted to talk to at one point was, like, what is NASCAR going to look like? And I'm glad, I'm glad you brought that up. It was, it was just something on my mind. What would NASCAR look like in the post-COVID world? How would it affect race teams, sponsorships, companies sponsoring in the sport, and 
you know, all these different aspects. And, of course, the tracks, not having fans, definitely, you know, those tracks and those, the sport in general definitely loses a lot of money. And, of course, every sports league is suffering the same issue. Right, right. Well, I think a, a couple of things come to mind real quickly is just what I started to say is that a lot of the procedures – I think will be changed in the future as far as amount of time at the track and, and required to be there. Um, obviously, uh, they were going to roll out the, the brand new car for next year, um, which is going to affect the teams um, severely as far as the number of people that are employed because the new car um, is going to have a lot of bolt-on parts that uh, don't require um, as many fabricators on the race teams. Um, and most of those people are well aware that that change is coming, but uh, NASCAR had made the decision to, to put that off and for another season. So 2021 will be our, the, the standard car they've been using, and then 22 uh, they'll go to the, to the new body style. And that, that new body style and, and chassis configuration is going to uh, it's going to make a big change, um, not only in the number of people that work there, but budgets and and um, I, I think we'll I think we'll see a lot of different procedures uh, from that, and that'll trickle down from the Cup Series uh, then to Xfinity and trucks. It's sort of the way uh, they've implemented those kind of things. But uh, getting body parts that basically snap on and snap off. Um, and are easily replaceable uh, is the goal of that. And, you know, it kind of reminds me of the of the ASA days when, when they had the composite uh, bodies, and ARCA's gone to that, and, and yeah. it's worked really well for the teams as far as doing repair and, and uh, you know, your body work and your repaints and your, or your re, uh, re-wraps are so much more simplified now because of the, uh, the ability to replace parts quickly. Yeah, exactly, um, and that's definitely something I'm that both of us are really looking forward to with the next gen car. Obviously, they just had a they just had a test at Charlotte. They ran both the uh, road course and the oval, and I was very intrigued to see you know how the cars ran, how they how it looks, and obviously I know it's a generic body, and they're still working on different things. And it's good they get another year uh, to really you know get this down. But I think it's. Uh, I think it's a great idea moving forward with the composite bodies. I do. I've always believed it was a cheaper option, and uh, I definitely think we'll see more of that. One one of the first uh, visits I made to a race team uh, was in Charlotte, and Michael Waltrip was was driving the Country Time uh, number thirty, and I went to their uh, race shop to do an interview. Chuck Ryder was the owner, and I walked yeah. into this building and I looked in there and I'm like they've got 60-some race cars in this building. And I kept walking around. I'm like, what car is this? And they'd say, oh, well, that's our Bristol backup. And I'd look at the one right beside it, and they're like, oh, that's a, that's a mile-and-a-half car. And uh, it was just one of the dumbest things I had ever seen in my life because all of these cars looked completely different, the way the front fenders were flared, the, the way the nose was made. And I said to Chuck, I said, how, how can you do this? And he said, it's ridiculous that I've got 60 cars in this property, but you've got to have backups and, and you know, we're starting yeah. a second. Whether you host a nightly dinner party for two or five, keeping your eating and dining area clean helps keep your mind on the dinner party and not on the cleanup afterwards. 
Viva paper towels clean like cloth, trapping splatters and sauces that could become countertop stains or stuck on messes. And they're two times more durable when wet compared to the leading value brand. For an exceptional cloth like paper towel, there's Viva. Visit vivatowels.com to soak up the clean feeling of home. Team and this and that, whatever. Well, I mean, the, the amount of money, it was just crazy. So I went to a number of owners and crew chiefs and I said, what do you think of a common template car uh, to eliminate the need to have all these? And they're like, oh, well, that'll take away all of our creativity. We don't want that. <laughs> so, so it was such a double-edged sword that, you know, the owner didn't want to spend the money on having that many cars, but they also wanted to have a better shot at winning. And, and they felt by having the right crew chief, and the right fabricators, they could make something really unique and different. So it, it was just, it boggled my mind back in the day. And obviously, it took NASCAR a number of years to go to, you know, what you would call a common template, overall template. And mm -hmm. uh, they were very against the whole concept, but it sort of eased its way in. And now look what we've got now, you know, these guys have to go through uh, laser guides on their rear ends that are that are measured in micrometers. Um, so it, it has changed an incredible amount uh, since the late 80s when I got started. Gosh, yeah, the sports changed so much over time, and, and obviously, yeah, the you mentioned the common body template because I remember when. I was a kid, I used to see all the Gen 4 cars, you know, and how they race and how different they would look at Atlanta compared to Bristol, compared to uh, Talladega and Daytona even. So definitely um, definitely something interesting to, to bring up there. Anything else you anything you want to add, Michael, by the way? Yeah, it's just uh, I just think it's crazy to think about what it was like back then and just think about, you know, without this common car template we have now, just what it would be like if that hadn't changed, I mean, costs would be through the roof. I mean, yeah. I don't think we'd be able to sustain the sport, honestly. Mm -hmm. That's just something crazy to think about right there. Well, yeah, I mean, first of all, the amount of space it took up to have that many vehicles was crazy. But if yeah, they I mean, dressed 60 one, cars, wow. I mean, that is a six, ton of space I mean, that you need. Yeah, yep. that's a and, lot of money. And that was it, and just the you know, just the parts inventory and all of that stuff. So it really, it really is very different when you go into a cup team today. And, uh, you know, a lot of these guys, I would say many of the cars um, that they use, any of them that have stress on them, like a Bristol car or something like that, probably only gets raced two times, um, you know, and then they, 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 run it down maybe maybe down through a smaller team or whatever but uh there's still a lot of cost because they continually try to improve and build newer and better but the difference is they don't have an inventory of 30 cars uh sitting there for each driver yeah just curious when you said 60 cars are you talking 60 like complete cars or bare yeah. chassis yeah, no, I'm Complete talking cars? about cars that are sitting there with dashes in them and 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 uh, transmission ready to go. Drop an engine in that car and and it was it was ready to race. I mean, I'm not talking about just parts and pieces. I'm talking about 
ready to to put it in the trailer and and oh you know rear end gears and, wow. and shocks and every every a complete roller painted and lettered just minus an engine and and it was just it was unbelievable i mean they i think they had four martinsville cars um sitting all in a row and I said, what, what's the difference between these? And he said, well, we just tried a few different things, and we tested them all, and we're going to take this one. And they had four cars, four, four Martinsville cars. I mean, it was just mind-boggling. But, again, we got away from that, and the, the owners realized that wasn't sustainable. Um, but I just I remember I took a, a video and a photo of, down through the middle of this garage, and I'm like, boy, look at all those Country Time logos. <laughs> A lot of decal costs. Yeah. A lot of nice, yeah, uh, lot of nice the cars. The top teams have that many cars anymore. Yeah. That's, that's just crazy that they had all those different cars that, you know, some only get used one, two, three times out of the year. That's just, geez, that's a lot of money. Yep. Yep, it sure was. So, But it's interesting today, you know, you go to a – to a, a Camping World Truck Series team, and, and you go in and you'll see that, um, you know, each team, uh, each individual driver and crew chief may have uh, six units that are raceable, um, and they convert a number of those over. Um, you know, typically you'll take your oldest uh, short track truck and then make it the dirt truck, and they mm-hmm. build a new short track truck, but you know six six is a pretty good number for inventory of most of these teams. They'll have a they'll have a Daytona Talladega truck, and then they'll have uh, two or three intermediate uh, mile and a half trucks, and then they have one really good short track truck and a dirt truck. You know, I mean that's that's pretty much the inventory, and that's the way it should be. You know, they've got to got to get it figured out. Yeah, and you know, then you got guys like uh, Norm Benning who have one truck for every track, you know? Yeah. I mean, cause that's all they can afford, you know? They have to get that thing to run at Daytona, then go to Eldora or Bristol. I mean, it's, uh, well, I guess not Eldora anymore, but yeah. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. Knoxville yeah. next year. Knoxville, yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah I'm looking gonna, forward to that. Yeah, definitely. I was gonna, I was gonna bring that up too. Like thoughts on the 2021 schedule changes and all the new tracks that uh, all three circuits will be heading to. Yeah, it's uh, it's definitely interesting. It's been fun to to see the the diversity uh, of those schedules. Um, you know, there were there were a couple things that were sort of glaring to me. Um, uh, you know, it 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 appeared that um, that Speedway Motorsports got uh, got dumped on a little bit. Obviously, with the loss of all the races at Kentucky and um, losing a race at Texas, and um, it, there was a, there's some strangeness a little bit to some of those schedules. But I mean, to be able to see the Cup cars at at Coda, I mean, it just that's going to be amazing. And, um, you know, I think there's some really interesting parts to those schedules. Um, you know, for trucks, um, 
I, ha I haven't really studied that thing completely, but uh, I think when, what I heard from most of the drivers is they were pretty pretty excited about the changes. Um, you know, the the whole thing is going a little bit more road course. Um, not sure I totally understand that. I know we've had some really good races on road courses, but they're not always really good. Mm -hmm. So um, I think from a I think from the owner's standpoint, uh, obviously, especially in trucks, they said if we're going to have one road course, let's have two or three. Um, yeah. Just because you've got to spend that money on the R and D on that vehicle. So um, I think I think some of what NASCAR did was simply uh, in answering the call to the owners of, of what they felt was more feasible. So that's great. Oh yeah, I mean it's crazy to think that four years ago, you know, the Cup schedule just had Sonoma and Watkins Glen. Then in 2018, you had the Charlotte Roval, and then. You know, this year the Xfinity Series ran at the Indy Road Course. Now the Cup Series going to have six road course races, if I'm correct, next season. Watkins yep. Glen, Sonoma, the Roval, Coda, Indy, and um, Road America. Did I say that already? No, I don't think you did. Okay. Oh, and we got a dirt race, which is what I think I'm yeah. most excited for. <laughs> Yeah, the Bristol dirt race. I'm definitely looking forward to the cup guys getting to run on dirt. That's going to be a lot of fun. I think you'll see in that race a very similar thing to what happened in the trucks when they went the first time, that there will be three or four guys who just are really, really good. <laughs> you know, oh, yeah. And yep. they're going to be, you know, you'll be like, wow, um, there's a huge disparity in the ability back through the field, especially in the cup deal, because so many of those guys have never done it. So um, that that will be fun for sure. Yeah, guarantee you. Kyle Larson, Christopher Bell, Chase Briscoe, and Tyler Reddick are going to shine in that race. <laughs> oh yeah, they're they are they're going to be dual threats to win that race for sure. <laughs> yeah, I don't. Uh, I'm not sure. I understand the. Uh, the, uh, am I correct in saying that the uh, bush clash is on the road course? And um, I just I don't I don't I don't understand that one. But uh, whatever, we'll see if people like it. Yeah, honestly, neither do I. I mean, honestly, I didn't really enjoy the road course race they did earlier this year. I mean, I thought mm -hmm. it was kind of a. You know, it just seemed like everybody was getting all spread out, and there was no real action except for right on the restart. Yeah, I mean, honestly, well, if it had rained, then yeah, it would have been fun. <laughs> <laughs> True. Um, I, I think they did this in the early days when they started doing this Clash event, but I wonder if maybe the Clash should just be 20 laps on the oval, go for it, you know? Just 20 laps. 20 lap dash for... Maybe maybe some sort of a money incentive like the All Star Race, you know? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I've I've been a I've been a big proponent over the years of simplifying the schedule at Daytona and and bringing it into one week um, instead of two. And uh, so um, you know they're they're trying different things, which is interesting. I you know I'm I didn't really totally enjoy the Roval at Charlotte, to be honest with you. I. I, I, I think that there are certain road courses that are set up that run well for these kind of cars. 
Um, hmm. Obviously, Watkins Glen and, and Sonoma have people have gotten a really good handle there, but it, th- those races have lots of passing zones and interesting things. Um, yeah. But you know, I'm 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 not sure about I was I wasn't in love with the Roval. Um, certainly not at Indy, but you know, again, people like different things. Um, I'm I'm a I'd like to see more short tracks, more three-quarter miles and half miles, and and uh, lots of side by sides. What I like, so. Um, but I'm a I'm a, I guess I'm a purist, <laughs> or or just old. Well, every everybody has their own opinions, you know. I've I'm always been a fan of like track diversity and shaking the schedule up every season, doing things a little different. So yeah. I'm open to anything, obviously, and. Obviously, you know, Michael and I were pretty bummed about Kentucky. That's our home track, but still. Um, yeah, that's an understatement. <laughs> yeah. Um, obviously, uh, we got Indy nearby in Bristol. Nashville, Very, I'm looking forward to Nashville very much. But, um, yeah, and, um, of course, they said that they're going to continue to make more schedule changes, so I'm very curious to see what NASCAR will do in the next several years. Um, yeah, bring now, back Kentucky. Thank you. <laughs> I, I I honestly want Kentucky to get another shot. I understand, you know, people have said, oh, the racing there is not great, you know, but Kentucky is still a really nice market. It's a beautiful track. And, um, you know, I just hope it gets another chance again. And obviously, uh, same if, if it happens for Chicagoland as well. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, I'm I was I was completely stymied whenever I found out that they weren't coming back and to Kentucky. Um, but again, you know, it's it's I understand they need to to try some different things. I'm all for that. Um, mm-hmm. I just uh, I don't know when I look when I look at the truck schedule. To me, it's still a little bit heavy on super speedways. Um, you know, I would, I would hopefully modify that some, but, uh, you know, obviously we're also in a time now where it's very, very difficult for promoters, um, especially, uh, till we find out, you know, if we can eradicate COVID and get them in a position to get crowds back in again too. So, um, it'll be interesting to see how that plays out. But, uh, yeah, it was a huge shock to me when I, when I heard the news that Kentucky was off the schedule for all three divisions. Yeah, it caught me off guard, too. Um, I wasn't really expecting that track necessarily to be taken off. I thought maybe, you know, certain tracks might be the date, but I was like, whoa, okay. Um, awesome. <laughs> but um, I, I guess they remain hopeful, and obviously business is business, and you just have to try different things and shake things up because 2021 – really does feel like a new generation in NASCAR. Like, it's a new NASCAR almost, you know. A lot of the guys that, you know, especially that Michael and I have grown up watching, they're all retired now, you know. There won't be a Gordon on the track or an Arnhardt or Johnson or Edwards or Kenseth unless he comes back again uh, or, you know, a bunch of those names. And, uh, you know, obviously Chase Elliott winning the championship is a huge deal. Um, the next-gen car coming in 2022. You got new teams coming in. You got the Danny Hamlin, Michael Jordan team that looks like could be the next super team. 
you got the Justin Marks team with Trackhouse, and the new team that got announced recently with BJ McLeod and Matt Tiff, Live Fast Racing. So, And we're hearing rumors about colleague racing going to Cup, so we got new teams coming in. And um, I, I really feel like the sport has a really, really bright future ahead. Yeah, oh, I, I your colleague. I'm sorry, go ahead. No, go ahead. Yeah, <laughs> if you didn't hear, a colleague actually did confirm they're going to attempt the super speedways and road courses for next year. Yeah, I saw that. So yeah, yeah I'd expect I, Haley I on the. So, yeah, sorry about that. <laughs> no, I agree completely with you as far as uh, you know the new. There's a lot of new blood and a lot of new teams. That's fun. Um, it's always uh, enjoyable to watch how those transition and you see, um, you know, young crew chiefs get an opportunity to move up and make the change. And that's that's what the whole thing's designed for is that people get a chance to move up, um, up through the ranks. And, uh, and you know, it's part of it, um, you know, there's a, there's a lot of young drivers um, that – uh, how do I say this the right way? That the, the old time race fans, a lot of people that I know, aren't familiar with a number of these younger kids um, and where they came from or how they got there. And um, so I think one of the things we've got to do a little bit better is is educate, um, you know, educate the the legacy fans that there's still a lot of talent there. Um, because you know, you guys were just mentioning. You know, when you say the group of, of Kenseth and Edwards and and Jimmy Johnson are gone, well, I mean, I'm still remembering the days of, of Mark Martin and Rusty Wallace and Dale Sr. and and right. Bill Elliott, you know. I mean, that, those were the guys that were at the top of the notch when I started. And, and you know, as those guys cycle through and, and younger guys come along, uh, we've got to know their story. And... Um, I think that's a that's a one of the continuing projects for NASCAR is to uh, uh, you know hopefully build some rivalries number one and then number two uh, educate who these young kids are and how they got there. Oh, definitely, I agree. Yeah, I mean, you know, you got a few of those now. I mean, like you have Joey Logano again. Well, just about everybody and. Uh, <laughs> Kyle Busch against also just about everybody. So, yeah, but, yeah, you don't really have those rivalries like you used to have with Jeff Gordon and Dale Earnhardt. So that definitely something that would, I think, help improve the sport, just having those two guys who you always want to see what happens next with. Right, right. Yeah, we're missing a little bit of that. And some of that is, uh, you know, I don't know. It's, it's, it's kind of fun, though, for me. Uh, to watch the Chase Briscoes of the world come up and you know get a get a shot in a good ARCA ride and then and then and then run up through the ranks real fast like that. But we also got to make sure everybody understands who Chase Briscoe is and that that you know he didn't have a rich daddy that that that, that bought him every opportunity and uh, tell that story that he's a a, a young kid from a, a family that didn't have a lot of extra and. And he just got mm-hmm. an opportunity because of his talent. Yeah. I mean, just seeing the way Chase Briscoe has risen up to the ranks has been so incredible to watch. Especially considering, you know, this is a guy who gave me advice, you know, when I first started racing USAC. Um, I've known him for a little bit now. 
you know, he's a really good dude, really nice and humble. And mm-hmm. seeing him get this opportunity is just so awesome to see. Yeah, I agree. Um, you know, another considering you know, I basically have the same sort of background as him. You know, I don't have a rich daddy to pay for everything. I got to go out and find sponsorship myself, to make sure I can mm-hmm. get back on track. I mean, you know, so just seeing someone have success with that, you know, definitely kind of inspires me to like, keep going. Yeah, you know, and going back to the telling stories, you know, it reminds me of, you know, when Ross Chastain got that big break with uh, Chip Ganassi a couple years ago, he won that race at Las Vegas, and I remember him going, wow. I'm just a watermelon farmer from Florida. What am I doing here? So that just kind yeah. of opened up the story of, oh, wow, okay. You know, he's, his family runs a watermelon farm, and now here he is next year. He's going to get a big break in the Cup Series with Chip Ganassi. So I think, yeah, just pushing those stories and learning more uh, about these drivers over time and having these rivalries develop and you know, could, could definitely help NASCAR thrust into the spotlight more often for sure. Absolutely. Oh, All man. right, guys. Well, listen, I've enjoyed uh, chatting with you and um, looking forward to, uh, you know, it's such a, this is such a funny time of year as you get, you get into Thanksgiving and Christmas. And then, you know, before you know it, uh, it's like people start talking about Daytona again and, and get you fired up about ready to go. And, and, you know, hopefully we'll have a, a racing season coming up where, uh, people can, uh, we can get vaccinated from COVID and people can go out and sit in the short tracks and, and the stands and, and enjoy uh, a year of racing that, that won't be as abbreviated as what we had here. But, uh, again, kudos to NASCAR for, uh, pulling off what I thought was pretty much going to be impossible to get all those races in, uh, this season. They, they, they deserve a, a huge pat on the back and, and I know a lot of people worked really, really hard to make that happen so we could all enjoy it. So uh, congrats to them, and, and hopefully next year will be uh, bigger and better, and hope you guys stay safe. Uh, uh, enjoy the holidays. Thank you so much. Yeah, thank you for coming on, man. Yep, I enjoyed it. All right. Well, thank, a special thank you uh, to Ray Dunlap for – uh, joining us here on the podcast, and uh, and obviously, yeah, to all of you listening, I hope you all have a wonderful Thanksgiving and a wonderful Christmas as we roll into the off season. Daytona will be here before we know it, and uh, from all that, I guess we'll go ahead and wrap things up here um, here on the uh, dropping the hammer racing hour here on the grueling yeah, can't speak here on the grueling truth from Ray Dunlap, Michael Klein, and myself, Alex Gray. Thank you guys so much for listening, and we'll see you next time. This episode is sponsored by Schwann's.com. What are you having for dinner tonight? Hmm, good question. Schwann's Home Delivery has a solution for you. Stock up your freezer with high-quality frozen foods like premium meats and sides, delicious ready-made meals, ice cream, and more. No subscriptions, no memberships, just a friendly yellow truck that's been delivering food for almost 70 years. Listeners of this show get a special deal. Get 20% off your first order with code YUM20. Check out schwans.com backslash yum for details.
You can't control what's outside your home, but you can control what comes in. Because Clorox disinfecting wipes kill 99.9% of viruses and bacteria, including COVID-19 virus, when used as directed on hard, non-porous surfaces. So whether it's from dirty doorknobs, dirty shoes, or something else, outside germs won't stand the chance. When it counts, trust Clorox. Kill Pseudomonas, Salmonella, and Influenza virus type A2. Kill SARS-CoV-2 on hard, non-porous surfaces. Use as directed.